Hey, welcome to Pathway Community Church. I'm excited that you're here joining us. And uh, just want to let you know that we're into a series right now where we're, our goal in it is to help you have a more productive, uh, more exciting, more fulfilling, more God-honoring family uh, relationship experience so that you'll be able to walk forward in joy and knowing that what you have at home is amazing. Now, the principles that we're sharing with you, these things apply to every relationship that we have in life. So as we focus on the family relationship, for those of you who do not have uh, wives or husbands or children, I just want to let you know that these things still apply to other relationships that you have. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, this is a fantastic book of scripture. Uh, this is written with, uh, with love in mind and talking about relationships quite strongly within it, especially those relationships within the church. So Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 3 to 5. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Now, if you do not know where the book of Philippians is, in the beginning of your Bible, there is a cable, table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. And one of the ways we like to show respect here for uh, God's word at Pathways, we like to stand for the reading of his word. So wherever you are, would you just please stand with me as we read the word? Here's what it says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you will help us to be a people that have eyes that see, that have ears that hear, that have hearts that are tuned in to what you would have for us today. Jesus, I pray that we will walk away from this message not thinking, hey, what a great message, but rather, Lord, uh, inspired to move in the direction of becoming more and more like you. We want to have your mindset as we function within the context of our relationships. And so, Lord God, would you help us to do that this morning? In your name I pray. Amen. So, when I was a kid, there was four of us. There was my older brother, who was 14 months older than I, and then there was my two younger sisters. One of them is two years younger. One of them is four years younger. And we would be, we would be divided into two groups when it came to doing dishes, we took turns doing dishes. I think it was every other day my brother Ken and I would have to do dishes. And, and the other days my sisters Karen and Cheryl would have to do dishes. And I remember having this one particular thought every single time it was my turn to do dishes. You ready? Here's a thought. Maybe you've had it. Do I have to? I mean, these are the thoughts that often come along with the things that we don't like. And so my attitude towards it wasn't really good. I never enjoyed doing dishes. And I think part of that had to do with my do I have to attitude. Do I have to? Uh, the better the attitude we have towards the relationships that we have, the more we enjoy those relationships. And so specifically, when we talk about do I have to, some of us, many of us have a have to attitude when it comes to our families. And so the better the attitude we actually have towards our families, the better the experience we're going to have in those relationships. We can have either what you would call a have-to attitude or we can have a get-to attitude. And all of these things are common to each and every one of us. 
The have-to attitude is based on some sense of obligation. Here's what I mean. I mean, uh, one of them could be, oh, I have to go to work. It's not that I necessarily enjoy it, but, oh, I have to go to work. And why? Because I have responsibilities there or because I have responsibilities at home that I have to pay for things. So I have to do the thing that I do not enjoy in order to be able to have the things that I may enjoy. And so do I have to? Or I have to take out the garbage. I don't know how many of you have that attitude, but I remember even just for me, there are certain days of the week that, that seem to shift in terms of when it's time to take out the garbage, and I always, always forget the day. And Janet will often say to me, Rob, do you remember to take out the garbage? And I'm like, oh, right, I forgot again. Do I have to? Another one could be maybe that you're in this space of life right now is, oh, I have to do my homework. I mean, especially now for a lot of people who are doing a lot of their schoolwork online, uh, certainly in our home, we get the do I have to attitude, meaning that it's a sense of obligation. It's not something that we truly enjoy. Or how about this one? I remember being a, a child like this. Do I have to share my toys? I mean, you, maybe you're, you're somebody who, when you were younger, or maybe you are in that space right now where you have some Lego, and you got to, whenever somebody else comes over and they want to play with your Lego, it drives you insane. Maybe you're an adult right now that still has that Lego, and it drives you insane when people play with it. Do I have to share? And these attitudes of the do I have to are somewhat in contrast to the attitude of I get to, have to versus get to. You can see the shift in the thinking automatically, even in just the phrasing of it. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Uh, Sorry, the get to attitude is based on some sense of privilege or gratitude. So, for example, I get to go on vacation. I get to do that. I get to go shopping. Maybe you're a person who really enjoys that, and that's something that you just, you get to do. It's an opportunity to get away, and you get out, and you get to do this. Maybe you're a person who can say, I get to play video games. And there's a lot of people in our circles that love video games, and they get to do this. How about this one? I get to have some personal time. I actually asked a stay-at-home mom who's got some really, really little ones, and I said, hey, what is one thing that, that you get to do that gets you excited, that fulfills you and makes you have some joy in life? And she actually said this one. She says, I get to have some personal time. When we apply these attitudes towards our families and relationships, We have those relationships that are the have-to attitudes towards those relationships. And we have the ones that are the get-to attitudes in those relationships. And so the goal that we need to have here, I believe, is that we need to shift specifically as it relates to our family relationships. We need to move away from I have to or do I have to to I get to. And when you move from I have to to I get to, you'll come into a place where you're going to have a completely different attitude towards your family. The better the attitude towards your family, the better experience you'll have with them. You catch that? The better the attitude you have towards your family, the better the experience you're going to have with them. And reason behind that is very simple. Little things do not become big things, and we give allowance for each other, and we recognize that we're not perfect, and so we offer each other grace. All these different things take place. 
The better the attitude towards our relationships, the more we enjoy those relationships. Now, we've got to, I believe, we have to have a get-to attitude versus a have-to attitude in our relationships. Families, very specifically, they can be a life-giving force when they are healthy and when they're functioning well. When healthy, they can be that one of the constants that we have in life that we can count on. So much so that a healthy family relationship can have a positive impact on health and well-being. The quality of the family relationship, including support, and that would be the things that would be like providing love and advice and care. And then also including strain where there are arguments and being critical, making too many demands can influence our well-being. So the health of your family can influence your well-being. So if you're in a positive family, it'll influence it in a positive way. If you are in a negative family, it'll influence it in a negative way. If you have a have-to attitude versus a get-to attitude, it's going to have a dramatic impact, not only on you, but on others within your family unit as well. Strong family relationships are a source of comfort. And they provide a sense of belonging and unconditional love that you're not likely to find anywhere else when you're in these get-to attitude families. But when these relationships are unhealthy or stress-filled, well, you know as well as I do, they can feel pretty exhausting and emotionally draining. In fact, a highly conflicted or toxic family can cause a lot of damage. An awful lot of damage. Not only do these unhealthy relationships deprive you of support, but they create additional stress and conflict and and even health issues. As a matter of fact, here's a statistic for you. Uh, Research indicates that 10 to 30% of children grow up in families where their health and well-being are endangered or weakened by unhealthy family relationships. And so generally, people depend on their families in times of crisis or emotional and practical support. And sometimes we even see people uh, getting support financially from their families. And so family units are a pivotal part of a person's life when they are healthy. They can actually be something that influence your well-being in a great way. When you look at Philippians chapter 2, we're starting to see a pattern here of what God is saying about his family. And I truly believe this, that our families, if we want a truly healthy family, if we want a family that's going to be God-honoring, then we need to do family God's way. So let's take a look at what God says about his family, the body of believers, the children of God. In the beginning of chapter 2 in the book of Philippians, it's a continuation of Paul's call for unity within the Philippian church. And so he begins this section in chapter 2, starting with verse 1, with some rhetorical questions. And of course, you know as well as I do that a rhetorical question is a question that just doesn't actually need an answer. And so here he says things like, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any loving comfort, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And so the assumption is that the Philippian Christians indeed do actually have and are being encouraged by being in union with Christ. That they have been comforted by his love, that they enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and they do experience tenderness and compassion, and all because they belong to Jesus, because they are in Christ. Union with Christ is the basic reality of salvation for Paul. 
To be in Christ is to be saved. It is to be in an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. And so from this relationship flows all the particular benefits of salvation. And these benefits include the blessings that Paul lists in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And he makes it clear that there is a connection between unity and union in Christ, with unity and union of believers. You could say it this way. True unity in the church cannot occur unless people are genuinely united with Christ. I'll say it again. True unity in the church cannot occur unless people are genuinely united with Christ. And when we're genuinely united with Christ, and we have this unity and this union within the family of God, the body of believers, then there are things that come out of that. And one of the things that come out of that is that there's a shaping of our opinions and our attitudes. And so in view of the blessings that the Philippians have received in Jesus, Paul, he urges them to be united in harmony. And, and, and I love that language, united in harmony. Uh, for me, it, it immediately uh, pictures this choir, actually. And when you hear people singing in harmony, you've got all these different parts coming together. Their voices are blend together, but they're doing different things. Their voices blend together to produce something that they cannot produce on their own. And I love that, that there's harmony. There's difference, but there's harmony. Paul calls for this unity in four ways. He actually says and that he wants the Philippians to, listen, to have the same mind or to have the same kind of thinking. He says that not only does he want them to have the same kind of thinking, the same mind, but he wants them to have the same love. That's Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. To be joined together in the spirit and to be of one purpose. So Paul wants the Philippians to think the same way, to have the same mind, to have similar attitudes, concerns, and intentions. And it seems that the disunity among the Philippians was called by some differences of opinion. Paul wants the Philippians to be of the same mind. Attitudes, thoughts, concerns, intentions. And to be in harmony on some of those undisclosed things that are talked about. Because he doesn't actually come right out and tell us what the issue is. But we know that there are issues. Now it doesn't mean. Or sorry. It does not mean that it is necessary for us to always have the same opinions on the matters of faith. Uh, church polity or practice. Even Paul disagreed with the apostles sometimes. Often to, to be honest with you. It's very good to have differences. The scripture talks about it. Like in, in Proverbs it talks about the idea of iron sharpening iron. And so the idea here is, is that you have two opposing things that come together. And when they come together. Uh, they're sharpening each other. But there are sparks that fly. And, and so just imagine the sparks that could fly within the body of believers. Where you begin to sharpen each other. But in the sharpening of each other. There's still that harmony that takes place. Because you recognize that we have unity with each other. Which is different than uniformity. And so it's good to have differences of opinion. It's going to stretch our understanding of God, his word, his mission, his world. But it's not to let those differences of opinion to destroy an individual's faith or the mission of the church or the testimony of the church. Like-minded, harmony and unity among the Philippian believers are what Paul, or what will make Paul's joy full and complete, he says. 
And so what we could say then, especially as it relates to the relationships that we have with us, is that your joy will be made complete with like-minded harmony and unity like-mindedness, harmony, and unity within your family. Your joy will be made complete with like-mindedness, harmony, and unity in your family. That's how we are to function. That's the get-to attitude. I get to spend time with my wife. I don't have to spend my time with my wife. One of the frustrating things I have uh, heard from people is their attitudes towards their spouses. Oh, I have to go spend this time with my spouse because they want to go do this thing. Listen, the longer we have this attitude of I have to with people, the less value those people have in our lives. We value them by having this perspective of I get to do this. So I get to go shopping with my wife. I get to do housework with my wife. She gets to do yard work with me. Like we, we get to do these things together because we choose to be with each other and we choose to live in unity and harmony and like-mindedness in order to be able to have that get-to attitude in our family, and I can tell you honestly, Janet and I have never had a bad year of marriage. We have had difficult moments in marriage, but we've never had a bad year in marriage. Because we have a get-to attitude. And when we apply that get-to attitude to the other relationships that we have, we are more likely to have that harmony and that unity and that joy that comes from that in the context of our family relationships. Our attitudes towards others matters as well when we talk about this. Paul is, is very deliberate about this as well. He talks about it from the perspective of selfishness. He says selfishness and its relatives like envy, jealousy, being argumentative, conceit, pride, and arrogance have no place in the Christian life and family. Selfishness and self-centeredness are the opposite of being like Jesus. Listen, when I was a kid, uh, it was actually a privilege to be able to do dishes, if I really think about it, because here's what it meant. It meant that I ate. Think about that for a moment. We live in a world where there are food shortages all over the world, and so my doing dishes came as a result of my being able to eat. So I got to do dishes. You see the shift there? And if my attitude towards those things is different, it becomes better. Now, selfishly, I didn't want to do dishes. I wanted someone else to do dishes. I wanted my sisters to have to do them. I wanted my brother to have to do them. I wanted my parents to have to do them. Anybody except me, because my world was about me and my wants, and I was just a self-centered person. Now, I actually believe that that's most of us. We function from that as a default position. We think about things from the perspective of what's in it for us. And so there's a self-centeredness that comes with it. But as we continue to understand the scriptures and to follow Jesus, what we learn, especially from Paul and certainly from Jesus himself, is that, is that we need to die to self. Our selfish and sinful passions and desires are things that need to get put away, not to be part of our life. And this can be a tough call, but one that has challenged Christians throughout most of the past two millennia, the last 2,000 years, it's been difficult. However, dying to self is not necessarily a grim thing. 
Dying to self means that living for God and his will, which can often be joyful and satisfying and rewarding. I can think of times where, where it's been less of me and more of him, and then I've been part of something that he was doing, and it was just very clear that he was moving in somebody's life, and I got the privilege of being a part of that. You hear that? I got to do it. I get to do it. Because I was doing it for him. It wasn't about me. And so there can be tremendous joy in serving and dying to self. Now, part of our journey towards spiritual maturity is that we continue to live for God and, and for other people instead of following just self. Instead of following the empty and meaningless ambitions that we may have in life. Jealousy and rivalry may have been behind some of the conflict within the Philippian church. And so instead of being envious and combative, Philippians chapter 1, verse 16, or following empty ambitions, it talks about, we are to be humble, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. The personal quality of humility is a representative characteristic of Jesus and his true followers. And Paul gives us clear, practical advice on how to live with this humility towards others. If you've got your Bibles and you just turn and you look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, and firstly, he actually says this. He says, regard one another as more important, or if you want to think in brackets, better than yourselves. Regard them as more than you. In other words, treat them with a higher esteem that you would treat yourself. It's not about thinking less of you. It's about thinking more of them. Now, what do you think would happen in our context of our family relationships that we would think more of our families and less of us? Less selfishness, less have-to attitudes, and more get-to attitudes, if we think more highly of them. And then secondly, which is not that much different, but there are some nuances here. He says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. So it's not wrong to look out for your own personal interests. But just not only those. He says, but also to the interests of others. So he says, first off, if the first point from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, is to regard one another, others as more important than you, then you, you give them more merit than you give them yourself. They're more valuable to you. Not to diminish you, but to elevate them. If that's one thing you do, imagine, just think about, I'm going to go back to marriages for a second. Imagine thinking of your spouse as somebody that you truly believe is amazing. I mean, just think about that for a moment. If you just took the attitude that the person you are with, the person that God has made, wired, developed, is amazing, what would your relationship to them be like? Husbands, you would stop re, like, looking at the negative things about your wife, and wives, you'd stop looking at the negative things about your husbands. It's not that we ignore these things, we deal with these things, but they don't become the defining things. We look through a different lens. And then on top of that, what if we don't only look out for our own interests, but we look out for the interests of others? And so we've got husbands looking out for the interests of their wives, wives looking out for the interests of their husbands, uh, parents looking out for the interests of their kids, kids looking out for the interests of your parents. What if the world wasn't just about you? 
Whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're a husband or a wife, what if it wasn't just about you? And instead, you were able to look at everybody else in your home and say, this is going to be about you. What if everyone did that? How would that change your family? What if everybody moved away from, oh, I have to be with my family, to I get to be with my family? What would your family be like? Do you think it'd be a little bit closer to what God is calling us to as a family of believers? It's straightforward advice. It's something that we can put into practice immediately. And if you haven't already done so, then realize this. You ready? Here we go. Other people matter. Just realize that for a second. Other people matter. And we got to live as if other people matter. Why do they matter? Because they are an image bearer. They bear the image of God. They have intrinsic value simply because they bear the image of God. Secondly, God wired them together. He knit them together in their mother's womb. His hands were actively involved in the creation of every single person on the planet. And by virtue of that, they have value and they have purpose. Every single person matters. And so then we need to begin to show a real interest in the interests of the well-being of those around us. Not just thinking of ourselves and our own wants and desires and needs, but also looking to the interests of others. We need to rethink how we do life. Again, parent, child, child to parent, husband to wife, wife to husband, whatever it is, we need to rethink how we do life so that we can move away from a have-to attitude to a get-to attitude. This is what it means to be part of the family of God, that we look out to each other's interests. It's this, really, it's this whole idea of having each other's backs. In Ecclesiastes chapter, nine, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it, there's this beautiful image. A lot of people use this passage for their weddings. This isn't about marriage. This is about uh, two people traveling along in a Middle Eastern desert at night. And along the road, if you want to turn that passage, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. There's a beautiful uh, image involved in what it means for two people to travel together on this journey, having each other's backs. If one lies down, the other keeps them warmer. One falls down, the other can help them up. They can stand together when people attack. And then, most importantly, it says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so you have you and your family member and the Lord. What if we moved from a have-to attitude to a get-to attitude? We need to see God's family as a model for our families. It's really what it comes down to. Look, the reality is, is that there's a lot of advice we can get on how to do family. And I understand that. And there's lots of articles we can read. There's books we can read. And, and these are great things. Don't get me wrong. These are great things. But I truly believe that if we want to have a loving, faith-filled, joy-filled family, then we need to move away from a have-to attitude to a get-to attitude 
that we get to be part of the family of God and we get to have our own family units. And so if we model our family units after how we are to be modeling and being as a body of believers, I truly believe that everything we have ever wanted out of family, we will get. I truly believe that. If every single person modeled what it meant to be part of the family of God in their own families, I truly believe that we would have a joy-filled family unit. So here's what I want you to do. It's very straightforward. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose three of your have-to attitudes, whatever they are. I have to go to work, or I have to go and date my wife because my pastor said so, or whatever it is that you have to do. I want you to start looking at those things as you get to do them. You get to mow the lawn. You get to do your homework. You get to clean your house. You get to have family night. You get to play games. You get to go for walks. Whatever it is, change your have to, three of them, to get to's. And if you can do that, I promise you that that's going to shift how you interact with your family. Those things that you think of begrudgingly as it relates to being part of your family, those have-tos, I want you to switch those to get-tos. Choose the three and apply a get-to attitude towards them. Because a thankful heart and a peaceful family is the result of a get-to attitude towards others. A thankful heart and a peaceful family is the result of a get-to attitude towards others if everybody is involved in the get-to attitude. And these attitudes are essential if we're going to have that unity that produces joy that this passage tells us about. If we continue reading this entire passage, after he starts talking about, you know, the idea that if there's any comfort from his love, these rhetorical questions, he goes on and he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not about being selfish. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And there are some attitudes that come along with that. And these attitudes are essential if we're going to have that unity that produces joy. Now, it's not to suggest that these attitudes alone will bring about that unity. It's not true. That unity that produces joy only comes when it's based upon the truths that Jesus has taught. And these attitudes without that truth will only produce a false sense of joy. So all of this, all of this has to hinge on Jesus. Without these attitudes, holding to the truth itself will not give us the joy that we seek. The attitude of Jesus is this. Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And what we see here in the attitude of Jesus towards those whom he loves is an attitude of humility and service. So what if our get-to attitude of humility and service was applied to family? 
everybody doing this thing. Everybody moving in the same direction. I believe that we can have our fullness of joy by making sure that we adopt these attitudes as we attempt to live according to the truth that is in Jesus. The better the attitude we have in our relationships, the more we enjoy those relationships. I'll say it again. The better the attitude we have in those relationships, the better we will enjoy those relationships. And all of this is possible because of the gospel of Jesus. Look, here's the reality. My capacity to love is limited. My capacity to offer grace, limited. My capacity to forgive, limited. But there's something unique that takes place because of the gospel. You see, when I recognize what Jesus has done for me, I want to extend that to others. It's not that extending these things to others gets me any more merit with God. No, God has covered everything. I was a sinner. Jesus paid the price of that sin for me. And because of that, I can freely live for him. And I can love the Father. And I can love others because of the freedom that I have in the gospel. That's what the gospel does. It frees us. It absolutely frees us from trying to be perfect, from trying to be more than we are. What it tells us is that because we couldn't, he did. That's what it tells us. And so because of Jesus' love for me, because he died for my sins, because he lived that sinless life, died for my sins, rose again three days later, sits at the right hand of the Father and advocates for me. And because he's coming back again, I can live free. And which means then that I have a greater capacity because of his free gift towards me that I get to extend to others. Because Jesus gave me grace, I extend grace. Because Jesus offers me love, I give love. And because he felt that everybody was worth it, that everybody mattered, I feel like everybody matters. And so I get to be the husband of my home. I get to be the dad. I get to. I don't have to. But I absolutely get to. You get to be in the relationships that you're in. And I understand that some of them can be difficult. But if I can offer this to you, the more we become like Jesus, the more we're able to engage people in the way that he would. And when that takes place, we have a greater capacity for joy. We have a greater capacity for contentment and a greater capacity for fulfillment in our families. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for today. And I thank you, Jesus, that because we are part of your family and because you have set up your family in a certain way, that we have an incredible model of what, it, what we can do with our own unique small family units. And so, Jesus, would you help us to pray, uh, pray for our families, Lord? Would you help us to love like you love, to be committed like you were committed and are committed, 
Would you help us to be a people that would offer grace to our families? And, and, and Lord, that, that whether we are the husband, the wife, the, whether we are the parent, the child, whatever it is that we are, whether we are the brother or the sister in the family unit, whatever it is that we are, that, Lord, that we would, we would absolutely commit ourselves to a get-to attitude versus a have-to attitude that we would recognize that the people that you have placed in front of us are precious gifts. And Jesus, would you help us to treat them like that? Would it be less of us, Lord, and more of you? Amen.